Welcome to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, episode 62. Today on the show, I have Dr. Emily Splickle, podiatrist and founder of the Evidence-Based Fitness Academy. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and here on episode 62, we have foot expert, performance expert, Dr. Emily Splickle. Really excited to bring this episode to you guys. If you've been following the podcast for really any length of time, you know we've had a lot of really good speed coaches, track coaches, speed experts, and some commonalities you're going to hear through those speed experts is that the feet are a critical link to an athlete's speed and performance. So uh, it's, it's great to be strong in the weight room, and it's great to be powerful, but if you're losing tons of force through your feet, if you have uh, flat tires, so to speak, as the analogy goes, you won't be going anywhere too fast. And so it's just so easy to get caught up uh, as, as strength and conditioning and performance professionals only on the things we commonly see, the highlight reels, training reels of squats and cleans and bench presses and, and those types of things. But uh, to look into the feet, it's it's important and and the feet are uh the foot's a kind of a complex structure too so i think it maybe it scares people away i don't know but i mean because of that complexity that's that's one of the reasons i was so excited to have dr emily on the podcast today so some background on her she is a true expert on the performance driven foot uh, along with being a doctor of podiatric medicine she's also the founder of the evidence-based fitness academy she's created multiple barefoot training courses She's invented a technology called a barefoot technology called Naboso, uh, and she is a student of human movement. She's an athlete herself. She was a gymnast. She's, she'll go into that too as we talk about her athletic background, and also has some, some track and field experience in her own athletic background. So uh, very well versed in all aspects of human movement, and I honestly she is definitely one of the most uh, knowledgeable and thorough in her area. Uh, the of the professionals that I've met and so when it comes to something like the foot that's pretty important because it is such a complex structure I think that a lot of coaches shy away from talking about it so it's really nice to have someone with that expertise uh, Dr. Emily she's also actively involved in barefoot training research barefoot education as it relates to athletic performance and she also serves as a consultant for many prominent fitness and training organizations so we're really excited to have her on the show today. For the episode today, uh, we're going to be discussing obviously the feet. Yes, many uh, the feet on many levels in regards to their impact on performance, as well as other important things such as how we coach and cue the feet in training. Say, how do we cue the feet optimally in squats? How do we uh, look at the feet in jumping? Are there any cues to be given there? We're going to go into critical muscles of the arch and how to train them. We're also going to be looking at like troubleshooting the foot what are some things we should be looking for in our runners and sprinters that might indicate some weakness that needs to be trained uh, also going to talk about things like toe gripping the big toe and as well as spiraling movement in the transverse plane just this is a cool episode uh, there's no way you can listen to this and not learn some things that will immediately change the way that you look at athletes I, i'll tell you i'm 
right after I talked um, to Dr. Umley, I, I had was watching a video on Instagram of some dunker, a guy who's like 5'9", getting his head over the rim. And just watching the way that his feet loaded and unloaded, I had never thought about that way before. And it's just stuff that is just so important and so applicable. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did putting it together. Let's get on to episode 62, Dr. Emily Splickle. All right, Dr. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be part of your podcast. Excellent. So let's get it kicked off right away. Let's chat a little bit about your background as an athlete. So how, what, and what got you as well into the fitness industry and where you are today? Uh, sure. So I was a competitive gymnast from, well, I started gymnastics from the age of six and then got involved with competitive gymnastics all the way up through age 1920. So I did one year in undergrad college and that really led into, I think, the discipline that I have for movement and athletics now and how I carry it into my practice. And then um, I got into fitness after undergrad when I was really missing that movement side of my life, my, my career. And I eventually knew that I wanted a career that wasn't just um, science-based, intellectually stimulating, but had that movement aspect to it um, and involved me moving, not just me treating movers, but it was very important for me to be active myself. And, and that's why or what led to it developing my practice, my clinical practice that's built around not just sports medicine, but again, actively involved in developing programming. I'm a mover myself. I'm now a aerialist and I'm, I truly believe and practice what I preach when it comes to helping movers and then moving well myself. That's great. And I, one thing, a reason I asked that question too, is I, I feel like so many of us, we kind of use our own, our intuition as athletes ourselves and movers ourselves play such a big role in how we see um, the world of, of sports science, movement, athletics, the whole thing. And gymnastics, such a, such a the movement there is so, so complex. So I think that's really great and interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it really, to me, is fascinating now that I spend a lot of time looking at movement from a impact force perspective and a pre-activation perspective, fascial tensioning from the ground up, which if I used those concepts or knew those concepts when I was a gymnast, I, I would have been so much further in my career as a gymnast and, you know, gone to a higher level, just understanding kind of that neuromuscular control versus oh, landing on the beam and just like squeezing the glutes as hard as you can. I, I would have now I would have integrated my foot to core sequencing and built better stability during a, a landing technique on the balance beam, for example. Um, so yeah, but back then they didn't know what they know now. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Athletics is always always changing. Yeah, with the complexity of movement too, it is it is amazing to look back sometimes and be like, oh, I can't believe like that's how I was coached back then, or we, that's how we've always done it. I guess those being the dangerous words, that's how we've always done it. Uh, what, one of the things, and, and you were talking about yeah, impact forces, fascia, that's stuff I'm so excited to chat with you about today. And so well, let's start with the feet. And I get a lot of, uh, it seems like a lot of the track coaches I talk to these days are always, um, and for a very good reason, talking about the, the secret of the speed being in the feet. You know, this athlete has good feet. Uh, so in terms of just being a fast runner in general or fast running or sprinting, what are some aspects of feet that are good feet that lead to good running? Yeah, sure. Um, I also just want to real quick, what you said, the, the, the speed being in the feet, kind of that quality is, is huge and they're, they're spot on. They may those who say that may not know exactly like how they're spot on. Like, is it the foot type that's making them fast? Um, really what it is, is the rate that you can create stiffness in your foot leads to a shorter contact time, which means you get off of the ground faster and then that's how you're fast. So that can be built into certain foot types that are able to lock or resupinate faster that would be a more inverted foot. Um, technically, it would be a more rigid foot because the position of the foot of acceleration is supination. 
So plantar flexion, inversion, supination. So a foot that can get into that position faster is clearly going to be able to get off of the ground uh, quicker. Um, if you think of a foot that is more overpronated, has more a tendency to shift into eversion, it's going to take them more time to lock their foot, get into a stable rigid lever, get into enough inverted position to then create a stable lever through which you can push off. Um, so again, looking at foot types, biomechanically and even neuromuscularly, the foot type that feeds speed would be a more supinated foot. That's cool. I, I That's something that I kind of a lesson I've literally just started to learn. Uh, and I mean, I've been working with track athletes for a decade, but I've literally just started to started to pick up on that in the last few months myself and the way you explained it i think was really interesting especially with how long does it take the foot to like lock lock tension and handling tension um as also too for those um i'll, I'll be sure to include in the show notes for those people who might not uh know some of the formal terms but supination being the um like the pinky the foot angled with the pinky toe side towards the ground then yes um Correct. If you're thinking of the, the rear foot, you, I always explain in my workshops that if you're standing on both feet and you roll to the outside of your foot, almost like you're showing the inside of the foot, that would be the foot going in an inversion moment or an inverted position. And then if you roll to the inside of the foot and you're showing the outside of the foot, that's an everted position. Inversion, when you roll on the outside, is always coupled with plantar flexion of the ankle so if you're standing on two feet and you're lifting your heels you now just plantar flex your ankle which means you just inverted your heel you put those together that's supination if you dorsiflex your ankle like you're going in the bottom of a squat or you're loading uh, impact forces during a run or a jump the dorsiflexion of the ankle is coupled with eversion of the subtalar joint you put those together, and then you get pronation of the rear foot. Supination or inversion always in your mind should equal locked, rigid, stable acceleration. And then pronation or eversion should always equal deceleration, unlocked, unstable, or a loading phase of the foot. Okay. Interesting. I So kind of does that explain why we – I? And maybe I can put a picture up here. And I think those familiar with uh, at least sprinters have seen it. The, the it's almost like when their their foot is coming down to the ground, you see the um, that pinky toe side is kind of hitting first. Uh, the or the the pinky toe kind of midfoot's hitting first, and then their their foot is rolling across. Uh, does that does that make sense? Uh, what I'm kind of describing or attempting to describe there. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I can picture what you're describing. And the thing that is also important to understand is that regardless of how your regardless of how your foot is striking the ground, whether you're walking, you're a heel strike runner, you're a midfoot striker, or you're a sprinter, which means you're doing a forefoot strike, you are always in a inverted rear foot position. So thinking of a sprinter, midfoot striker, they're hitting the, the lateral side or the pinky toe, like you're saying, mm -hmm. of the forefoot. And then as they go, as they're in that position, their subtalar joint is in, in an in a inverted position. So you can't, you almost want to keep them separate is making sure that the athlete has a rear foot inversion moment and then, yes, there's a forefoot inversion moment because you're going pinky toe to the big toe or five, four, three, two, one. But you, you have to make sure that there's sufficient sub tailor joint or rear foot inversion. That's the part of the foot that allows to make sure that it's rigid enough for, for push off. Okay. That, I hope that's not confusing thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess maybe a, a <laughs> try maybe simplifying it too for kind of uh, looking at sprinting versus running is so there's a difference in what what's happening uh, with at the front of the foot and the back of the foot when the foot is hitting the ground in terms of inversion and, and eversion or pronation and supination. Yeah, and it's it's it really is also good to say that okay, the the foot needs to be inverted. The rear foot needs to be inverted. 
regardless of what part of the foot touches the ground first, which means that from a human movement perspective, I don't care what movement you're doing, human movement perspective, that's closed chain where your foot is contacting the ground, your rear foot, your subtalar joint needs to be in an inverted position upon contact. Then you go into eversion or into neutral, which is technically an eversion moment, and then you re-invert to lock your foot to get off. That that inversion, eversion, inversion moment or span ranges on if you're walking, if you're a heel striker, you're a sprinter, etc. The shortest window of inversion, eversion, inversion isn't sprinting. And that's why they're able to get off of the ground so quick and that's why their heel does not touch the ground because they're they're capturing the energy off of the ground so quickly and so efficiently that if they did put their heel on the ground, it would take way too much time to get back off of the ground. And then they would be a slower runner. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, it's amazing to me how, and even just working in track and field as well, like how many things are happening in, in that one-tenth of a second in a sprint strike with the foot and how if the the structure or strength in the foot is off, how much force gets kind of leaked out. Um, and as well, you were saying, and it's something that I, I kind of trying to uh, direct my, my thoughts towards that inversion of the, so the inversion of the rear foot being almost like an attractor state. That's important no matter, yeah, like you said, you're walking, you're running. I uh, Would even jumping probably go in there or any like force absorbing yeah. movement? It doesn't matter what you are doing as long as you are in a closed chain foot contact position because that's the only way that that, that the lower extremity loads impact. And it, it goes from inversion to eversion. And that, that's, that's the movement that technically when you're inverted in your rear foot, your, your tibia is externally rotating. So, And then when you're everted, your tibia is internally rotating so if you could picture someone their leg or their tibia we'll just call it the leg for the sake of things is going from a externally rotated position into an internally rotated position that that's a spiral going inward and that spiral going in eventually has to spiral back out when you push off so whatever you load in you release out when you take a step and, yep. and it's it's that dynamic with the foot that allows you to load the spiral. So it's, maybe the whole point of this thing is that our power is rotations and, yeah, yes, and spirals, yes. right? So the more that you can harness rotational power through your feet, the faster you will be. And that's how I look at the foot. And that's the way with coaches and athletes and runners and, and um, patients harnessing power is understand that rotational element yeah so that inversion eversion inversion that's that's rotation and that's spiraling and that's power all the way down in our feet which so many people probably aren't even have the littlest awareness of when they're then they're moving and sprinting and and those types of things yeah exactly everyone speaks about kind of hip movement they want peak hip extension glute activation hip flexion whatever it is that you're doing in the hip because it's it's a it's a larger joint. You can you can see it. It looks like there's more power coming from it. But really what's driving that peak power into the hip extension is the foot. And it's almost the subtlety of the foot feeds the power of that larger joint and that larger muscle. Yeah, that's that is fascinating. I, I and the spiraling and the rotational thing is also something I've I've just picked up on a, a coach out of Sacramento, Adarian Barr, has been helping me understand a lot of those. And one of the things that really kind of broke that through for me, and I hadn't thought about it all in the feet the way you described it until you just said it, so that's really cool for me. But um, my thing is jumping, and I, I used to watch all these videos of me um, and other athletes too where they're doing like double leg jumps. And every time I would do a double leg jump, my knees would click in towards each other in valgus. And I'm like, wait, you're not mm -hmm. supposed to do that or whatever. But then I'm like, wait, maybe that's loading something spirally because I've never had knee problems. And and um, like loading the, gr the glutes uh, in the spiral line in the, that internal rotation and then exploding out in external rotation. 
as I would. Yeah, jump. I mean, it, it, it truly does. So you don't want to sometimes, especially from a fitness perspective or it, it would be coaching as well. But if you get too fixed on, you know, your knees must track one way, you must have no pronation, you must have no knee valgus, you know, really you're taking away the loading phase of the spiral. So the only way that you can get peak power out of your hips, which is external rotation coupled with hip extension, means that you have to go into some sort of internal rotation and valgus is an internal rotation. It's a transverse plane moment of the knee joint is valgus. So if you block that too much, then you really do restrict the dancing back and forth between internal and external rotation. And that can actually lead to higher knee injury risk versus just working with the pliability of the connective tissue and train it that way. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me how well our body functions in that manner and how it seems like coaches, we always talk about how coaches are coaching athleticism out of athletes almost more than we coach it into them in many situations where it's like, you know, oh, your arms need to swing straight, but front to back and don't let your knees go side to side and keep your foot straight ahead and all this stuff. And so it's, it's, it's fascinating to think about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost causing more harm. Like you said, it's just let the body move in the way, the natural way that it wants. And you, you eventually figure it out. Like you don't necessarily teach people how to run higher level you do. But if you allow the natural reciprocal patterning of the body and the connective tissue and then just guide it along those lines a little bit more, you do get higher, higher performance and decrease injury risk from a larger picture. Uh, Dr. Emily, so you had uh, you talked a little bit about that, that locking position on foot strike. So I'd like to kind of naturally go in and a lot of the listeners to, uh, with uh, maybe practical uh, implications in mind. So somebody who might have an issue there, so when they're in their foot strike, they're uh, having that maybe uh, immediate too much uh, inversion. Uh, What are some things to look for? And obviously everyone's different, uh, but are there any kind of general, um, are there any general ways to strengthen up that that inversion that we were talking about? Yeah, so typically when I look at foot types, in doing my foot assessments is that I will categorize feet as being a little bit too rigid, which means that they're slow to unlock and slow to load. And let me go back one step. When it comes to anything dynamic, it's all about time. So the timing of the locking of the foot, the timing of the unlocking and the relocking and and things like that. So if you have a more inverted supinated foot, which means your athletes or you may stand a little bit more on the outside of the heel. Um, If you look at a pressure mat, you have higher for a higher distribution towards the rear foot, the lateral side of the heel. That, that means that your foot's going to be more rigid. So from a timing perspective, it's going to be more difficult to unlock to load So they're susceptible to impact-related injuries such as stress fractures, IT band tendonitis, IT band syndrome, um, shin splints, things like that that has to do with excessive loading um, or the inability to to unlock the foot fast enough. From the other extreme, if you have a more everted or overpronated foot and your body weight shifts towards the inside of the foot, you feel like your ankle's dropping towards the midline of your body, you actually have what's called a navicular drop or midfoot pronation or talonavicular subluxation. All of those mean the same thing. Um, that means that your foot is more unstable or unlocked. So you're going to have a harder time quickly relocking or re-supinating the foot for push-off. So they get different types of tendonitis because they're just straining and grabbing at anything to create stability. What you can start to do from a simple programming perspective is any foot that's more inverted, rigid, locked, stable is bring mobility to that foot and encourage them to find comfort or range of motion within eversion and internal rotation. This can be done through soft tissue release, trigger point release, and then different kind of standing mobility drills of rotating towards the inside, rotating to the outside, almost like hip open, hip close drills. And then 
the everted pronated foot, you need to start bringing stability to that foot. That's where I do a lot of barefoot training. I do short foot exercise and activation. I get their intrinsic muscles to fire. I get their feet to fire with their core and their pelvic floor. And then I build glute activation off of that foundation. So those are some general guidelines as how I use foot type to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. Uh, yeah, I, I really like that. I, I like how you mentioned even that like stability and mobility spectrum. And I think a lot of coaches are familiar with the stability, mo- mobility and, and uh, what uh, Mike Boyle, coaches Mike, like Mike Boyle often talk about throughout the body uh, and almost that, that barometer of what you have and, and how to go about fixing it. I, I, I think that's really just so valuable too because when so many of us are so obsessed with uh, trying to get faster and, and whether it be weight room movements or you know what's your what's your squat or what's what sprint you know mechanics are you doing but no one looks at what's happening to the foot it just seems like so much is lost especially just as you put it if you're an overpronation that foot's trying to do anything to find traction and and if we could just give it some more stability right then it would be um everything from there up would would improve so much so i think that um that's a that's a great uh point and and uh, i think that there's even just just that little simple barometer of, of stability to mobility i think if people are just conscious of that i think that there's so much help to be found yeah and you know the the next level of taking foot types is you don't want to always think of the foot as, okay, you have an inverted foot, so that's the foot in isolation, or you have an unlocked foot, pronated foot, that's the foot in isolation. If you get the foot strong or you get the foot mobile, then you always, regardless of foot type, have to make sure that the foot is talking to the core fast enough. And that's really what's missing from a lot of programmings out there is they'll do footwork, they'll do foot mobility, they'll release on a golf ball, they'll do some sort of foot activation or whatever. And then they they don't necessarily sequence the foot with the pelvic floor. And because the pelvic floor is part of your diaphragm, you coordinate that with your breath. And then you get diaphragm, pelvic floor, foot dome, essentially it's the posterior tibialis and the intrinsics to then all co-coordinate, and that's really what you're building your foundation off of. I wanted to take a quick break to update you guys with a few things that are happening with our sponsor, Simply Faster. Uh, First off, their blog is now more frequently updated and popular than ever, offering a lot of great articles on topics across the spectrum in sports performance, sports technology, speed training, and more. Uh, also in terms of their product line, so they're no longer carrying the Swift mat, but they have made some really great upgrades in the contact grid and force plate world. So check out what they're doing with the contact grid made by Muscle Lab. It's an infrared optical contact mat. It can be used for jumping and sprinting. It does a lot of sprint assessment like OptoJump. Uh, you can get contact times, even things like stride length and flight times. Uh, it also does a lot of jump functions, and some of the best sprint coaches in the world right now are really loving it. It's also insanely affordable compared to an opto jump system. So check out what they have there on the contact grid. Uh, also, they have Hawken Dynamics force plates, dual force plates, uh, which offers a deep dive into assessing force production capabilities. Just wanted to give you that update really quickly. Let's get on back to the show. I really like that X Factor Day. I, I the first time I heard it from you, and I think I was really like. Well, that's a pretty cool deal. Like, and the more I hear about it, the more I understand that. And, and the question, I guess, before I finish this thought, but you said a lot of your sprint workouts look the same. So in some ways, kind of the, the periodization or the, all, the fluctuations in the workout itself as time progresses, a lot of that's coming from the novelty of the X factor then. Yeah, I, I, I've heard um, I, it's good stuff. I've heard a presentation or a, um, a webinar I think you may have done on the foot to core sequencing and so uh, I'd like to get into that I also like to hopefully in this question talk a little bit about uh, toe gripping as well I've I've heard people you know give m- movements for you know you need to grip your toes harder and these types of toe gripping and and then or, you know how much is too much but maybe we can work that in but could you share a little bit yeah about that that what is the connection of the foot to upstream structures. So what is the connection of the foot to the core? Why should we be uh, concerned about it in our training and how can we integrate these ideas? Sure. So I will actually tie in the toe gripping with that answer. So toe gripping, I don't know if you're describing short foot, but 
short foot is an exercise where you you could call it gripping your toes down into the ground or you're rooting your toes to the ground, connecting to the ground. And if you stand on your foot, splay your toes and then push the tip, thinking like the toenail or the distal tip of the digit down into the ground, all five digits, that's the exercise that technically activates or sequences with the core. If you look at this from a fascial line perspective, there's a deep front fascial line that runs from the bottom of your foot and it actually connects into the intrinsics and runs through the posterior tibialis, which is the most powerful locking muscle of the foot, into your adductors, into your pelvic floor, diaphragm, psoas. And then obviously it continues up into the front of your neck, but if we focus on the core. So that's really building your your base or this fascial connection between your base, which is your feet, and your center, which is the core. Now, when it comes to the types of muscles that these are, I don't know if the listeners are familiar with local versus global muscles. Local muscles are um, deeper muscles. They have a higher concentration of proprioceptors. They respond to isometrics and create tension and stiffness. So all of the muscles of this deep front line or your foot-to-core sequence are local muscles or muscles that are designed to create tension and stiffness. This is key for runners because thinking of a sprinter, the more stiffness foot to core that a runner can create, the faster they get off of the ground. And there's so many research studies showing that acceleration and speed and contact time is related to stiffness not to you know how fast you can swing your leg around and flex your hip so you know that's really the premise of the foot to core when it comes to gripping i i think that that's where you're describing short foot which is a connecting your toes down into the ground because that's what the muscle that you're activating does if you do it too aggressively you can actually create uh pain within the foot because you're also activating the plantar fascia so you always want to do it in a controlled dynamic way if you want to think more like 20 percent maximum contraction um, versus okay as hard as you can put your toes down into the ground that's not the goal and and that's that's the guideline that i use i like that yeah i i've, I've always had that question that was a great answer too by the way i because i've had I've I've kind of almost seen the spectrum like I've I've seen yeah like the short foot or like I think it's like called the lift spread or reach was it li- reach lift spread or, or where you basically spread your toes you 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 push them down on the ground and then you proceed to either do a calf raise or some type of movement um, mm-hmm. and then I've also been to uh, but I've also been to seminars where they you know say don't don't wear flip flops because your toes are going to grip too much and then they're going to overgrip and your neck's going to start hurting or stuff like that. So I'm like, I, I it's to me uh, just making sense of that and finding the balance uh, has been something yeah, I've been thinking about lately. Yeah, I, I actually have heard that a lot with flip flops, and I don't. I think that's kind of a hearsay, like trying to connect a dot that might not really be there. You know, sometimes we think anecdotally or you look at the anatomy and I'm a big science person. I'm a big evidence-based person. I know a lot of people within, you know, sports and movements are a little bit more anecdotal and intuitive, but you know, some, some studies really do need to be done to support certain things. So if you wear flip-flops, can you actually show that that is that gripping or the kind of holding on to the shoe is leading all the way up to that? I don't know. I mean, I it, it might be a little bit of a reach, in my opinion. Yeah, I yeah, because I just I, I'm always ever since I heard that I'm like I, I kind of I was almost like a little disappointed at first because I'm like I mean I work with swimmers and I see you know these very powerful athletes who can't always reciprocate it and they're jumping and running because they're I look at their feet and their their toes are just kind of lying there hanging out on the ground like not really doing any tension or anything they're just kind of mm-hmm. and and I'm and to me I'm like that's got to be a huge 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 part of it and and uh well obviously why they're swimmers and not not a sprinter or vice versa I imagine if they their feet got super tense that might affect things upstream that might hurt their swimming if they had like a foot like a high jumper or something like that yeah, I mean, or it just shows that, okay, everyone needs to do 
foot fitness or some sort of foot focused programming, whether you're a swimmer or you're a, a diver or you're a sprinter or you're a gymnast, I mean, you really need to be connecting through all digits. If you take that even further, so I do a lot of body weight stuff now and it, it just is built off of my um, gymnastics and tension is a huge thing within gymnastics, which is why I love it so much. So if you're doing a pull-up or your athletes are doing pull-ups, technically you want to teach them how to tap into every inch of the body from a tension perspective. That's really why gymnasts point their toes. It's, it's beautiful lines, but it actually allows you to have higher overall tension of your body, which means you are stronger and you're harnessing much more of that, that force or that power. So if you learn how to incorporate that and use your foot when you're doing pull-ups, you're actually stronger. <laughs> so Interesting. it can be built into every programming. Yeah. So the next time you try pull-ups or whatever you're doing, maybe you're doing dips or something, um, then use your foot. I'll even cue people to do it when they're doing like side planks. I, I want every inch of their body engaged when they're doing any exercise, I don't care what it is, to learn how to use their entire fascial system from a tension perspective. Yeah, I uh, I do know like for pull-ups, uh, well, so you're saying that you want to, pointing your toes or plantar flexing when you're doing those movements uh, engages the fascia better than if you're dorsiflexing during pull-ups or those movements. Yeah, or you're just like passive. I see people who are, just not even thinking about their feet. They're just thinking about the pull-up. So the first layer is like, okay, as your hand is on the bar, really feel the bar with your hand, like really engage, especially digits five and four are really linked into your core. So really hold the bar with those digits and then feel what your grip is doing to your core. And then obviously engage your core, engage your shoulder, feel that connection of tension. And then what if you also engage your quads? What if you engage your the bottom of your foot, point your toes? You will notice that you have more strength overall. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Uh, I'd like to talk, uh, and, and just along that same line there, uh, you had mentioned, uh, so when you uh, do the toe exercises, so you're talking about short foot, you're talking about uh, toe gripping exercises where you uh, press down at about 20% and how that relates to some other movements so and, and engaging the core and so i know that in and this is something i've thought about and written about a lot in just you know trip typical strength and conditioning or or even powerlifting type ideas but how so many people are cued to squat through their heels like you know do this through heels do that through heels or whatever mm -hmm. and about mm -hmm. uh, four or five years ago i saw okay so you know uh, some people are saying center your pressure so you know center your pressure in your feet um but what uh, based on what you're saying how would you coach uh like cue uh something like a squat for an optimal core and glute activation upstream yeah then i would want the same thing that you know if you want to shift your body weight to your heels when you're going down in the squat to make sure that your hips shift back and i, I get that you can totally do that However, on the bottom of the squat, I want you to reconnect your digits to the ground and technically that short foot, but you're reconnecting to the digits, pushing them down. As soon as you push your digits down, you tap into this foot to core pathway, but you also start to lift the arch, which leads to an external rotation moment into the hip. So the up phase of a squat is really where you need the key digit contact in a sense sort of the foot engagement from that perspective knowing that foot engagement leads to core activation foot engagement leads to inversion external rotation okay uh yeah so the so during squatting like uh slight uh slight toe gripping and then that arch lifting leads to a little um extra extra rotation of the the tibia or femurs or both yeah the tibia so it's a tibial external rotation Okay, yeah, that makes sense of the tibia, because I was, yeah, I was, I was just thinking as well about, um, and that that's really cool and interesting. I was thinking about an article that just came out that I think probably ruffled some feathers. Um, it was Pat Davidson talking about how the the knees and like Olympic lifters would would come in, just like we were talking about some of the spiraling mm -hmm. stuff, and that would make sense if the if the tibias were a little external and then the and the femurs came in just a little bit. I don't remember the exact 
I mean, it did have something to do with the spiraling lines and the and the the, the way the body was supposed to work naturally in that. Uh, so uh, that's interesting. I like how you said it's okay to be on the heels on the way down because I think I get I get so myopic sometimes about okay, well if I, I mean it's so easy to totally swing the other way like. Let's not coach the heels at all. I'm glad you said that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't. You know, when I do kettlebells, everyone has their own style with kettlebells. I actually rock onto my heels when I swing the bell back. Sam, doing a swing. I'll actually rock back onto my heels and then reconnect my digits on the upward phase of the swing. So, you know, there's no in anything if you're down on the heels when you're on the downward phase of the squat or the downward phase of a of a kettlebell swing or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's, I, I don't, I try not to like shame or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> negate one way of doing something, but Hey, just think of the upward phase, focus on that side with the contact with the ground. And then however you get down, as long as your form is good and your body weight is centered as it should, then keep doing the cueing that works for you and your athletes. I suppose that's good too. Like the idea of maybe loading and unloading, learning to yeah. when you're gonna, when you're gonna unload your, your doing the correct thing with the toes or would that, would that be yep. a good way of thinking about it? Or is that not? Yep. 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 Yeah. So whenever <laughs> you need the power or the acceleration, that's where you, you connect it. So you are going to be squatting from the ground up, right? So anytime I use a connection with the digits, that's a from the ground up technique. When I teach people how to land from a jump, the same thing that I want them to land and be really aware of, the ball heel element of their landing technique. And then when they jump from the ground up, I want them to follow through and push all the way through the digit. So I want every last, you know, centimeter of the digit to touch the ground until they push off for that jump or for that sprint. And often compare it to if you're throwing a ball, a basketball, a football, is that you would want follow through. If you're doing a jump or you're walking even or you're stepping, there really should be a follow through with your entire foot. We, we oftentimes cut it short and that, that was your energy. I don't know. It sounds cheesy, but you're dancing with the ground in a sense from an energy perspective. So it has to be almost graceful back and forth with, with your techniques. And that, that probably is the gymnastics side of my training that looks at movement like that is, you know, how you, how you contact the ground and how you leave the ground has to be, uh, fluid and in a very, um, kind of symbiotic way, like work with the ground, don't fight the ground. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, I like that. It makes me think a little bit, and I know you did. Uh, you were telling me uh, before that you had done triple jump. I, I when I watch uh, the best triple jumpers, like at the NCAA meet, I go, I've been to the, like the Division One national meet of the U.S. Nationals. Like the, the, the best, of the best just blow me away by how well, like how almost soft and and smooth these these ex, like intense uh, phases of that triple jump are. Uh, it's very yeah symbiotic, like you said. Yeah, I mean, and you actually need those who are the most into their fascial tissue have a a lift in them almost like each step that the the triple jumper is taking is not like a a stomp on the ground like they're contacting the ground but they're kind of lifting off of the ground at the exact same time so it's a controlled it's a controlled impact and the way that you have that opposite motion or lift is your fascial tissue and it's your pelvic floor, but it's really your fascial tissue intention. So, um, the way that a triple jumper is contacting the ground should be the exact same way that you think of a dancer. They should have the same elegance and grace in my opinion. And same thing with sprinters. I don't care what sport it is. It should be the same. Uh, they should all look like they're dancing with the ground. Yeah, that's that's definitely a key in the best athletes. It's it's definitely it never looks forced and and they're so efficient. Uh, I I always love watching that. I uh, Dr. Elm, I was going to go back to you, what something you had talked about before that I thought was really interesting. Uh, you said you cued them all the way through the digits and and things like jumping. Uh, <laughs> Is there any, um, like, do you cue kind of like off the big toe or, or is there any toes that you particularly 
uh, queue off of, or can you go just at a little bit more depth on that? Because I do, I, I agree, I, I don't, uh, looking at bad jumpers and stuff doesn't look like they really push through their toes uh, or, or they don't plantar flex very much. Or uh, Could you go just a, a little bit more into that? Yeah, so you, it's, it's definitely the big toe that you want to be following on, uh, making sure that it's centered over the big toe. When you look at push-off position, there's two different positions of the foot, uh, again, from a push-off position. You can have what's called a high gear. So if you picture a foot that's going across all five metatarsal heads or all five digits even, right, that would be technically a high gear position. That's the ideal position for a push-off. It's centered over the second digit and the third, uh, and the first digit. Really, the last digit that's going to contact the ground is the first. The other push-off position that, unfortunately, probably a lot of the athletes out there are doing, and no one's really capturing it, is what's called a low gear. And this is if you picture your foot, or for those who are listening, it can actually stand, and they take their foot, and then they rotate the foot a little bit out. So they're pushing off of the side of the big toe. That's a low gear position. What that's associated with is an unlocked rear foot. So most of the injuries that I see in my office are associated with athletes or patients pushing off an unlocked foot. And then that leads to every single injury that Yikes. exists, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that follow-through should be off of the big toe, but the coaches need to look and make sure that they're in a high-gear position, not a low-gear position. You may need a high-speed camera to capture that if your eye is not kind of trained to catch it fast enough or depending on the sport or the, the speed of the movement. Um, but that's what you really want to train to fix is getting that optimal push-off position into a high-gear and sure. following through. Sure. Is that something? So is that something that can be trained too through, uh, like calf remedial stuff, like calf raises, or just really is is it something you want to? Can you dig into that farther than the the jumps and the sprints and how you coach it? Um, what are some really remedial ways? Just like maybe take home exercises or or other ways to easy ways to frame that. Yeah. So one of my favorite exercises for it, which is a drill to strengthen the posterior tibialis is if you put a ball between the heel, think a lacrosse ball that's between the heel, and then you're spreading your toes, connecting, almost like the exercise that you just said, um, spread, ground, lift heel, or yeah, so I Yeah, I, I, forget, I forget every time I say it. Yeah. yeah, but think that exercise, but with a ball between the heel, a lacrosse ball between the heel. So you're driving your heels together, and it is training... And then as you're lifting your heels, you're putting your heels or trying to invert or supinate your heels underneath the lacrosse ball. So it's not just a calf raise thinking I'm in my lever, but it's a lever that is inverting and getting that peak spiral out of your subtalar joint. That's what that exercise trains. Really your ability to do an optimal push off and have that high gear position is linked to your posterior tibialis. So you got to go after the posterior tibialis. That exercise I just mentioned is a posterior tibialis exercise. Short foot is a posterior tibialis exercise. Um, anything single leg is a post-tib exercise. And then you want your post-tib to be working with your core and your glutes. So it's really integrated exercises that are built off of a from-the-ground-up philosophy. Yeah, that's that's great. Thanks for uh, that that exercise. Um, I think I've seen. I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, I've never heard it explained that way, and it does. It helps me um, understand more about it. Uh, but the so it would be the tennis ball is between your two heels. So like your heels are to kind of together, but the tennis you're squeezing the tennis ball between both heels. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. And uh, and does that kind of tie in how you said you're inverting? Does that tie into that loading position too? Um, the the lo uh, it does. inverted rear foot. Yeah. So an optimal push off position, high gear position. You're not just straight across the met heads, like I had said. You're also making sure that they have maximal inversion of their rear foot. Oh, sounds. It just sounds like a, such a an exercise that has so many benefits across uh, a lot of lot of realms. So yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. I'm yeah, no, to me to that. that exercise is like the, the the that's like the king of all foot exercises in in my opinion. 
Awesome. It's like the it's like the squat. It's like the squat. For exactly. the feet. <laughs> it's the squat for the foot. Yes, yes. You're ashamed. You're ashamed if you don't do that in the gym and just you skip <laughs> you skip that and go to other exercises. You definitely get shamed for that. <laughs> uh, exactly. Awesome. Well, sounds good. Uh, well, I I think that's about all the time we have. I know you need to uh, get going on to where you you had to be. So uh, I appreciate everything so far. This was a great conversation. I I learned a lot, Doctor Emily. So thanks for taking the time today. Excellent. Yeah. If any of the listeners want to learn more about how I use barefoot training, barefoot science, foot decor, I have a lot of resources that are available online. And I do work with track coaches and track athletes to, to, to better understand the concept of tension and integrated fascial tensioning. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to mention too. Yeah. Is there a website or social media? Where can people find you at so they can learn more? So the website that has all of my companies and it links off, off of this one website is EB, as in boy, FAglobal.com. And then that links to my education company, to my um, YouTube and blog. And then I have educational summits that we do every year and a barefoot training proprioceptive insole and surface. So everything about my way of looking at movement can be based off of those websites. And then I'm on um, all of the different social channels. You can either look for Dr. Emily uh, or EBFA Fitness. Fantastic. Sounds good. Well, I know I'll be checking that out myself uh, some more. Uh, as just uh, kind of piggybacking off everything you said, I, I just think the foot is so fascinating. And, and thank you for such an informative and detailed uh, conversation on that. And I think um, I think that the listeners are I, I can't imagine anyone could have listened to that and, and not learned some really, really huge things to uh, make athletes faster and more injury resilient. So, uh, again, thank you, Dr. Only. Really appreciate it. Of course, it was a great time. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We appreciate your listenership, and we'll be back uh, next week with another great guest. In the meantime, please don't forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, such as KBox, free lap timing system, gym aware, and much more. They're constantly updating their store, just as I mentioned in the mid-roll, so be sure to see what they're up to. Also, if you enjoyed the episode, please don't hesitate to leave us a rating or review as well as subscribe to what we do here on iTunes or Stitcher. would really appreciate that, just so that that uh, friendly podcast is always up in that list of unplayed, my podcast, ready to go. And uh, it's just been so cool hearing from these amazing guests we've had, and I'm excited to bring it to you all. Until we talk to you again, have a great week.